8.26, they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what's your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him and they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got up into the boat and he left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return home. Tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Now, last week we looked at the story of, of how Jesus got into the boat, how he set out just across the lake to some unknown destination, at least at that point in the story, because the point was that as Jesus got into the boat, sailed across the the storm came up and threatened to sink in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus just kind of stood up, spoke a word, and the storm died down, and the winds grew calm. The disciples were amazed. But that was just round one. I think Satan might have blown up that storm to prevent Jesus from arriving at his destination. Maybe it was intention to, to turn Jesus back, to say, this is, you're not welcome here, go back where you came from. Jesus, don't even try to get into this region because this place is my place. 
Satan had established a stronghold there. Bad things were happening in the region of the Gerasenes. People that may, folks may have not even seen what was going on, but there was a stronghold of darkness there. And Jesus was going there to give folks a chance. To give them hope. To offer them the opportunity to change how they were living. Kind of like the book of Isaiah says, the people who are living in the shadow of darkness have seen a great light. And on those dwelling in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Jesus went there and he gave them the chance. He offered them this opportunity, this one hope. The question is, what are you going to do about it? As I look at this story, I see some parallels between what happened then and what happens now. I see some points that we can make application to our lives. What happens when Jesus shows up? You know what I'm talking about? There are occasions for each one of us where we're going about in our routine. And sometimes that's an okay routine. And sometimes that's 90 miles an hour down a dead end road. But it's routine for us. And all of a sudden, in the routine of our life, Jesus shows up. When that happens, what do you do? How do you respond? To the time when Jesus shows up. So I want to talk about this morning. And the first thing I want to point out is that when Jesus shows up, secret sins are going to get exposed. Amen? Now in the course of the story, that may not be the first thing that happens, but it's there, and I'm going to get to them all, but kind of in my own order, because I'm just like that, right? In this case, most times, Jesus, when he shows up and he makes himself aware, what he brings to the surface is this understanding that I've been keeping this thing a secret for years, but it's not hidden. Now in the story, Jesus gets off the boat and he's confronted by this demon-possessed man, right? This is a cowboy church, you can nod, it's okay, okay. He's confronted by a demon-possessed man. But in the distance, on the hill over there, there's a large herd of pigs. Now, the demon-possessed man is an obvious problem, right? Everyone is aware of him. In fact, his personality and his nature and his character kind of makes you look at him. He demands attention. And he represents those people with just obvious problems. The alcoholic. The drug addict. The guy down the street that everyone points to and says, he's got a problem. I'm glad I'm not like him. Amen? But that herd of pigs, that was a problem too. And it might have been the kind of problem that most folks don't think about. Now think about this with me. Why would a Jewish community 
have such a large herd of pigs? Pigs were unclean. According to Old Testament law, you couldn't eat pork. You couldn't work with swine. You couldn't own them. You couldn't even hire someone to do the work for you. You weren't supposed to have them around. And they didn't have just a few pigs. Now, the Gospel of Luke says, quote, a large herd. But when Mark tells the story, he gives us the number. Look at Mark chapter 5, verse 11. He says, a large herd of pigs was feeding nearby on a hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. So he gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the seat bank into the lake, and they were drowned. Now that's a lot of bacon. So here's this Jewish community. And among the people in the community, because when the guys herding the pigs went back to report, they didn't report back to a wealthy individual. They reported back to the people in town. So it was a communal kind of herd. Why was a Jewish community owning 2,000 or more pigs? What are you going to do with so many pigs? You can't eat them. Where's your market? Where are you going to sell them? They were probably selling them to the Roman army. So they were not only dealing in unclean animals, they were supplying their enemies with food. You getting that? But they had to keep this quiet. They had to keep those pigs away from view. You don't want that kind of reputation getting out among towns, you know? That would cause a stir among the other Jewish communities. So they didn't have this herd of pigs out in front of town. They had it on the backside, by the lake. See, while that demon-possessed man reflects and represents those obvious sins and sinners, this herd of pigs represent those secret sins. The ones no one else knows about. This is a guy that's hooked on internet pornography. That seems to be respectable. That seems to be admirable. That seems to have his life and his act and his marriage all put together. But he spends hours looking at dirty pictures on the computer. This is the woman who is addicted to prescription drugs. And she doesn't look like a junkie. But she goes from doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor to get the prescriptions that she needs to keep her life together. No one else knows. No one else sees. These are the 50 shades of gray kinds of sins. The sins that go on in the secret places behind closed doors. That no one else knows. Only us. And God. Jesus didn't arrive at the front gates. You notice that? He didn't come in by the highway. He came by boat. And he docked at a place no one expected. The front gates were clean and they were well maintained and they were whitewashed. 
The front gates were prepared for visitors to come in. They had put their best effort at keeping the front gates presentable. But Jesus came to the back side of the city, city near the graveyard. And the first thing was the very thing they were trying to hide. The demon-possessed man and the pigs. That's what Jesus found first. Have you noticed, maybe in your own life, in the lives of others, that Jesus has a way of slipping past all of our defenses? You've got this wonderful front hiding a shack behind. We spend all of our time in life building walls and wrapping ourselves up with rationalizations and excuses and justifications about why it's okay for me to do the things that I'm doing. And it may be wrong for someone else, but God understands why I need to do this. And after all, no one's getting hurt. So it's not a problem for me. And then along comes Jesus and without so much as a buy your leave or thank you ma'am, pokes a hole right in our best arguments. He gets through all of our defenses. He lays bare every secret that we hide and says, here is a problem. It's gotten very quiet in here. Have you noticed that? Am I plowing close to the corn? Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Jesus shows up, maybe for the first time in a long time. He makes us take a good, hard look at ourselves. We see the man in the mirror and we don't like what we see. And all the lies evaporate. And we're forced to confront the fact, this is what I've become. This is the man I've made of myself. And I don't like what I see. I've been there. Have you? It's this little thing called conviction. Uh, we don't really talk about conviction all that much, but it's a good biblical concept. It's when we become suddenly aware of our own sinful condition and the fact that as we stand before a holy God, we are hopeless and helpless without excuse, without any place to turn, without any ability to rescue ourselves. Our pride is broken. Our hearts laid bare. But as it's laid bare, it's also made ready. Amen? But our hearts being laid bare and made ready alone is not enough. Because there are a lot of people who have this kind of experience where God brings them conviction and they walk down and they shed tears on the altar and they get up and they leave that's the end of it. And tears on the altar will not save anyone. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 says this, Godly sorrow brings repentance. 
That leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Worldly sorrow only brings death. See, this conviction, this time when Jesus forces us to see ourselves as we are, as he takes those hidden secret sins and just exposes them for, for us and the whole world to see sometimes, will only lead to salvation if it comes through repentance. Repentance is one of those Bible words that so many people just miss. What does it mean to repent? Well, repentance means that you feel sorry for your sins. That is not rep repentance. That is regret. No one is saved by regret. Well, repentance is making a promise that you'll never do it again. Promises are worthless. How many of you have ever done that? Oh, God, I promise I'll never do it again. How'd that work out for you? Repentance means that you turn away from a that is self-oriented. It's all about me. It's all about what I want, what I need, what my goals, my desires, my ambitions, my plans are. And I renounce it all and I say, it hasn't worked for me. I'm going to turn to Jesus. I'm going to surrender to Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. Repentance through faith saves you. When Jesus shows up, those secret sins, they get exposed. When Jesus shows up, the power of Satan is broken. Now, now I want to look at this demon-possessed man for a minute or two and just kind of focus on him for a second. Think with me about where he has been and what's been going on in his life up until that moment. And I think what you see is, is a history of a downward spiral. He didn't start off this bad. He ended up this bad. Y'all understand what I'm saying? I mean, at one time, this guy was normal. But something went wrong in his life. In verse 29 of our text, Luke 8, 29 says, Many times this spirit had seized him. Though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken the chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Briefly, I want to lift up some of these descriptions of the man and, and just kind of see if it measures up against us. Because the Bible says that this dark spirit, this demonic spirit, would seize him. To seize means to grab hold of and take control. To latch on to. That, to me, speaks of a lack of self-control. It was, in those moments, it's like something on the outside of him was calling the shots. Now, I don't want to say to yourself, I don't want to go out tonight. 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 And yet, at some point in the evening, you find yourself in the same old honky-tonk. What happened? 
I don't want to fight with my wife tonight. I don't, I don't want to fight. We're going to get along. We're going to have a good evening. I don't want to fight tonight. And before bedtime, you are shouting at each other and you're red in the face. What happened? Paul describes the struggle this way. In Romans chapter 7, verse 18, he says, No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. When I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. In a couple of verses, he, he sums it up by saying, What a wretched man I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ. Now, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The Spirit would seize him and he would lack self-control. Can you relate to that struggle? I could have written that myself. As a person comes under this influence of the demonic, now don't go all exorcist and horror movie on me, but we're talking about this outside spirit influencing your choices and behavior. And that influence grows. And as a person comes under that influence, as they yield themselves to it, as they give it a listening ear and a willing place to reside, the first sign is this lack of self-control. You lose your freedom to choose. The second step, is you break through all restraints. Verse 29 says, Many times it has seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot, and kept under guard, he broke his chains, and was driven by the demon into solitary places. They tied him up. They chained him down. They put him under armed guards, and he broke through all restraints. You ever have a teenage kid that gets out of their room no matter how tightly you lock the door? You ever try to put restraints on a person that you know they've got an addiction, they've got a problem. And I'm going to fix your problem. Were you able to fix their problem? One of the facts about addiction, and I'm convinced that there is a link between addictive behavior and demonic activity. Guys, I have a DR in front of my name. I'm not bragging about that. I'm just saying I may be cracked, but I ain't stupid. Folks ask, Mark, what's wrong? And this is something you'll never hear another Baptist preacher say. What's wrong with one beer? I got to tell you, honestly, there's nothing wrong with one beer until you can't stop at one. Amen? What's wrong with one game of video poker? Nothing. Until you have passed your entire life saving through that stupid machine. The problem with addiction is that they never stay small addictions. They grow. You break 
through all restraints. Now some people can have one beer, and that's fine. But the one who is addicted can't stop. It may just be one high for someone, but the one who is addicted can't quit. And that, folks, that's not just the stuff that we normally label as addictive behavior. The gambling, the pornography, the drugs, the alcohol. It's also depression, anxiety, all kinds of eating disorders, all kinds of behavioral disorders. Because this demonic influence will attach itself to wherever you are weak. And you tell yourself, I'm going to stop thinking about it. I'm going to stop thinking about it. I'm going to quit thinking about it. And you can't quit thinking about it. It breaks through all restraints. The problem is spiritual. Yeah, it's social. Yeah, it's psychological. Yeah, it's emotional. But you've got to fix the spiritual aspect too. Or it doesn't stay fixed. As a person comes under this influence of the demonic, they lack self-control. They break through all restraints. And the third symptom, sign, is isolation. Verse 29 of our text says, Many times that it seized him. Even though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he broke the chains and was driven by the demon into solitary places. It's one of the tragic ironies, and it's just a sign of how cruel and evil the devil really is. That most folks start down this pathway to have fun and make friends. No one gets into addictive behaviors thinking, hey, I'm going to do this and really mess up my life. It's going to be great. We start down that pathway to party, to make friends, to feel good, to self-medicate, to, to make ourselves feel better. But in the end, that path always leads to hopelessness, depression, despair. And in the end, we're all alone. We're outside of town. We're living in the tombs. Because no one can tolerate us. And that was where Jesus found this guy. He was at the end. He was about as low as a person can go. Amen? But look what happens once he meets Jesus. Verse 35, the people went out to see what happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out. What was his situation? What was his setting? What was his condition there? He was sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Jesus offered this man a chance. You want to change? You want to be better? Jesus showed up and there was this moment of clarity. An instant in time where he could see clearly. When Jesus comes to us, it's what happens. 
We live in a fog. We don't want to see the truth. We don't want to open our eyes. But somehow in His grace, He does it. He makes us see clearly who we are and who He is and that we have one shot. Darling, make it a good one. Our secret sins are exposed and we see ourselves for the first time and there is that instant of godly sorrow, that moment of conviction where I grieve over the man I've made myself be. But we also see past all of that to the possibility that there's something better right there. I don't have to stay this way. I don't have to be stuck like this forever. Through Jesus, I've got a chance to be a better man. To be free. To be right in the sight of a holy God. Jesus showed up. This guy had a chance. He had that moment of clarity. He had that godly sorrow. But in all of that, he had to make a choice. Amen? See, the simple fact is, no one meets Jesus without being changed. I believe that. Something about him is going to move you, and you will not be the same person ever again. But I want you to notice two kinds of people in the story. You have the people from the village and this demon-possessed guy. And they each were changed by Jesus. And they responded to Jesus in very different ways. That was the same Jesus. It was the same chance. It was the same revelation. But a different response. Take a brick made out of wax and a brick made out of clay and set them side by side on the sidewalk in July. Same sun, the same intensity, the same heat, the same temperature exposed to both those components. The wax will melt and get soft. The clay will bake and get hard. Verse 35 of our text says, and the people went out to see what happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it, those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people in the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them. Because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. Won't you understand something? They knew who they were dealing with. Amen? It's not that they were mistaken about Jesus' identity. They understood his power. They observed in this guy his ability to create a positive change. Amen? They realized who it was who was here and what might happen. But they were afraid of what Jesus would do if he stayed in town. 
They probably had a lot of other things hidden that they didn't want exposed. They didn't want to make positive changes. They liked the way their life was going. It was going nowhere. They were cooperating with the Romans. It was not a good situation, but hey, it's my situation. I want to keep it. Jesus, we want you to leave. So he left. You think Jesus is going to force his way into your life? You think Jesus is going to aggressively knock the walls down and say, I'm here, by golly? No. He comes to you and he makes you an offer. I have a plan for you. If you trust me, not only will I give you a good life now, it will never end. But it's your choice. They asked him to leave. He got back in his boat and he left. And as far as we know, he never came back. They had one shot, one chance. They missed it. Chew on that for eternity. On the other hand, here was a guy that was probably as low as anyone could go. Matthew tells us he would hide in the tombs and cut himself with rocks. He hated himself. He was outcast. He was banished. He was feared and rejected. He was miserable. But Jesus offered him a chance. And he allowed Jesus to bring him back to a right mind. To dress him in clothes. To restore him to a group. He sat at the feet of Jesus and embraced the change Jesus was creating in him. Verse 38 says, The man from whom the demons had gone out begged Jesus, Let me go with you. But Jesus sent him away saying, You need to go home. Tell them how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. He was restored to his family. He was able to go back home to people who would receive him and love him. He was given a whole new purpose in life. And he was free to really live. See, Jesus wasn't coming back his way either. But Jesus left him there to be a testimony. You had a shot, just like I had a shot. Jesus made this difference in me. He made the right choice. Folks, from time to time, Jesus is going to come to you and He's going to present Himself to you and you're going to have that moment of clarity and you're going to have that experience of conviction and you're going to have to make a choice. What do I do with Jesus? If I let Him into my life, He will change everything. I promise you. Are you scared of that? You see, you either have to say, yeah, Jesus, I want you to make whatever changes in my life you want to make. 
and I submit my life to your control or, you know what Jesus, just, just get back in the boat. But I want you to understand there are no promises that he will ever come back. So if you have a chance to accept Jesus today, you really ought to do it today. Because you can't invite him in if he's not there knocking. So I want to give you that opportunity to do that right now. I want to ask everyone, just bow your head and close your eyes. And it may be that God hadn't said a thing to you today, and that's okay. It won't hurt my feelings. But maybe God has spoken to a person right across the table or just down two or three seats. And they need the opportunity to do business with God. So don't look around. Don't embarrass anybody. Just listen. If God is spoke, speaking to you right now, though, I want your full attention. At this moment, you have the opportunity to ask Jesus to come into your life where he can make a positive change. He can give you back everything the devil took away. But you have to repent and let him take control. And if you're willing to do that, I'd like to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Just repeat in the privacy of your own heart what I'm about to say. The words aren't fancy. They don't have to be. Just say, hey Jesus, it's me. I know I've ignored you most of my life. I'm sorry about that. I've made a mess out of my life. Because I've broken your laws. I've violated your commands. I've stepped across every line. And I find myself at a place where unless you help me, I can't keep going. But I believe that you love me. And you're willing to save me. So I'm asking you to come into my life and take control. Forgive my sins. Give me a second chance. In your name I pray. Amen.